Hi, everybody, and welcome to No Country. We have a very special episode for you today. My name is J. David Osborne. That is Chris Sacknesom. Chris, would you do the honor of introducing our first guest, please? I will. I am excited about this. Everyone, I, uh, I'm up in Seattle visiting my mother, who is 39 years old, if you understand what I mean. Very exciting to be with her listening to some music. We've been collaborating on uh, some creative projects. Uh, she has a long history as a teacher, writer, uh, musician, uh, musical and artistic director for the stage. She's an author. I'm she's an done a lot actress. of really cool things, and she's been an actress. Really? <laughs> so we're ready. We're going. <laughs> we're going to turn someone interesting <laughs> loose. Um, I yeah. I'm 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 excited, and the mood is good, and I survived the weird air travel up here. I do have to say that if, for people who have not flown uh, during well recently, for instance. It's a pretty bare bones thing, so you have to bring the good cheer and the good vibe. But I've I've rediscovered that since I've been here. So, yes, we have a very special guest coming up. Our first guest. I am very excited about this. I have some uh, some things here to talk about, but I also I want to keep it loose. I'm interested in having a conversation. Uh, very similar to how you and I typically talk. So we're, you know, we have a frame and a guide here, but also a loose, uh, a loose feel. This is a fun one. And uh, I, I feel really good vibes about this whole thing. So I'm going to try to ride those vibes. Excellent. Excellent. That's the ticket. That is the ticket. And we can, you know, there, there are some, uh, I, I th you know, things really on point to talk about in terms of our ongoing theme of anomalies, uh, conspiracies, and monsters. Indeed. Monsters of many kinds. Indeed. All right. Shall so, we? Shall, shall we, we turn it over? Yeah, let's get to, started. Uh, let's do it. Okay. All right. Well, here, without further ado, is Ellen Kester. We're going to get her on some earplugs and David is going to do the honors uh, and I'm just going to be sitting back enjoying. Hello David. Hello very nice to talk to you. Oh it's great to talk to you I enjoy always hearing you and Chris and your camaraderie and your complex topics and uh, I really want to congratulate you on the podcast sessions uh, uh, and I want to send greetings from among the people I've introduced you to uh, is someone named Dr. Steven Swedberg, who happens to be my ophthalmologist, and he uh, wanted me to tell you uh, how much he appreciates your podcast and especially the variety of topics, uh, but the in-depth in, in which you attack them and the novelty which you bring to them the research, and also your great report, the two of you. So oh. uh, that's Dr. Steven Swedberg. He'll be subscribing if he hasn't already. Excellent. Well, I'm very humbled and honored. That's that's great to hear. It's always nice to, um, to reach people. That's one of the great things about the podcast format is that you're never sure who's going to hear it, but you find just the most fascinating people to talk to. It's really something. Right. Yeah. I have a couple others, too, which I won't enumerate on right now, uh, because I want to congratulate you and Rios on little Gus. Yes. I think, uh, yes. I, think uh, 
I know a little bit about having a baby and the excitement that grandmas can get, mm-hmm. uh, the opportunities <laughs> yeah. you're giving them uh, to be a part of the life of this wonderful little boy. Uh, so uh, yeah. congratulations and uh, best wishes as he already is growing. Maybe he's smiling already and oh, yeah. kind of talking. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, and thank you very much for the gifts. We appreciate those very, very much. That was very kind of you. Oh, we had you. a blast. Yeah, right, we very, had fun. Very kind, and they're being put to good use. So <laughs> <laughs> he um, he is, in fact, smiling. As a matter of fact, believe it or not, he is teething. He's begun teething already. His gums oh, are, wow. His gums oh. are hard as rocks and swollen, and, and he is uh, waking up mm. from naps. Just, um, But it's a little early, but, uh, but we are definitely... Uh, excited for the new part of the journey. It's all a journey to me because I'm a stay-at-home dad. I do most of my work yes. from home. So Gus gets to sit with me in my lap and uh, do work with me, and <laughs> which he sometimes is excited about and sometimes he doesn't care for that much. Well, uh, the more, he'll get a little <laughs> restless after a while and have his own little program not too, uh, not too long from now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, no, he's great, and this whole experience has been you know completely life-changing i made it a point to actually see the the birth which a lot of right. male friends of mine who've had children think that i'm crazy for doing that but i wanted to experience the whole thing so having having seen him from you know his entrance into the world all the way up until right. now i'm sure it only gets more interesting i mean now you have chris and that that's had to have been just an, a very interesting journey, right? I mean, no question about it. Yeah. Uh, I had June, his sister, before him. Two very wonderful uh, and ha- very brilliant children. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, I was teaching also gifted, what we call gifted. Uh, today, it's highly capable, and uh, there I was raising two of them. Uh, and uh, their daddy was also very bright and a 10th Mountain Ski Division survivor. And mm. so, uh, and, and also a, a clinical psychologist. And I had aspirations for a doctorate, both of us. So the children grew up uh, with, with uh, that kind of uh, motivation, but mostly just, just a lot of love. We, were, we mm-hmm. felt very grateful to have two healthy, beautiful, bright children uh, it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My, my yeah, my mother had had the three of us, and my brother was not easy. He's <laughs> he's still not easy, depending on who you ask. But um, but yeah, I just have a ton of respect for being able to do that, especially now. You know, uh, Rios, my wife, does a lot of great work. We work well as a team together. Um, but you know, it's given me just a new appreciation for anybody who has you know two well-adjusted kids who've grown into successful adults i mean that's a right that's a real achievement um well it is probably the biggest Uh, i know uh i'll just tell a shared anecdote my dad was a doctor and we're sitting in the living room we had a great big house one of those lovely upstate uh uh, sort of a Victorian uh, house, and we're sitting in the back parlor after a musical evening, no TV at that mm, time. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother, Scotty, uh, asked my dad, of all the things you've achieved, 
uh, in your life, uh, what, what do you think is the most significant? Without a moment's hesitation, my dad said, you three children. Lovely. I love that. And so you see, that's the main thing, uh, David. Mm-hmm. If we had love like that in all our homes, we wouldn't have any trouble on the streets mm-hmm. uh, or in the schools or anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, they have to know that they are loved and they're fun and they're even puzzling uh, at times. But, the, but they're uh, totally, <laughs> we were pretty involved with them. Mm-hmm. Now, when you said upstate, did you grow up in New York or Seattle? No, upstate New York, uh, between Buffalo and Rochester. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So, I studied in Leroy, New York, the home of Jell-O. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding, David. That's awesome. Uh, my, dad, my dad and uh, someone named Orville Woodward, who was uh, a, a philanthropic member of our church, he and Daddy went to visit the lady in her garage where she was inventing the jello pudding yeah uh and sadly he gave her fifty dollars for the formula mm-hmm. but to his credit he did come back later at my father's insistence and uh, give her something much more appropriate but jello was invented in leroy new york and there's a museum on west main street in leroy new york uh, and people have contributed money, my family did, and some of the machines were brought. When, when the General Foods in Delaware bought Jell-O, uh, the, the valuable machines were uh, put in this museum. And you can go there in Leroy, New York, and see uh, some of those actual machines that furnished the pudding and Jell-O for the uh, World War II soldiers. Oh, excellent. So, World War II. Now, what are your memories of this period of time? I'm very curious to to hear about this because most uh, my my great grandfather was a paratrooper in World War II, and I knew wow. I knew him. Basically, he was a very small man. He only weighed about 95 pounds. So, what they would do is turn him into the pack rat. They would weigh him right. down down with all the gear, and that was just to make sure that he actually fell to earth. Uh, and didn't get blown, right. blown away by his parachute, and I had wow. some I had some pretty good conversations with him. My grandfather was in Vietnam. Unfortunately, that's what ended up doing him in. It was a accumulation of dioxin poison that they would use oh, to dear. knock down oh, the wow. the jungle. That it remained in his body uh, latent until oh, he was oh, seventy two, wow. and then it all came at once. But um, mm. so basically, w- with my great grandfather, you know, when he passed away, I was a teenager and right. I didn't get the opportunity, even though my grandfather insisted, you know, ask him questions about this time. Cause he has all these stories. Um, so I'm very, I'm very curious what you remember of this time and not to overload you with questions so I can come back to it if we get off track. But I'm also curious about what you said about, uh, you know, your musical evening. I'm interested in what, what entertainment and, and socializing and, and, and life in general was like before all of this technology that's so ubiquitous today. So it's a, right. it's kind of a two-part thing, and you are more than welcome to take that wherever you want. Well, we had a great uh, seven acres, so uh, uh, we had lovely croquet uh, yard and, and great croquet contests. Mother was the best. Uh, she had sung in these... Uh, actually in the Metropolitan Chorus in New York City. She was a beautiful woman with a phenomenal voice. 
and they were 14 years a difference in age, my dad and mom. Mm -hmm. He was an outstanding doctor in, in the town. So uh, anyway, we had a lovely house, and my sister and I invented games, especially my sister. Uh, and uh, we didn't have TV, and uh, I, I really am glad of that now. Uh, because we had books like mad, some first mm -hmm. edition books. We had a library in the house, and we Daddy read Shakespeare. He really wanted to be an actor, uh, but his father told him, you will be a doctor, your brother will be a lawyer, and your other brother will be a dentist, and mm -hmm. that was the way it was. Mm -hmm. And he himself, my grandfather, and was a doctor. They're all doctors. But anyway, we had lots of fun. Uh, we had music with mother's background. Daddy played the cello. Uh, and we played the violin and Scotty the clarinet. So, uh, and we had dramatic evenings where we, that's where I fell in love with the theater. And we mm -hmm. went to the theater in Rochester, New York. We were 20 miles from Rochester and Eastman School of Music. So I had lessons there in voice and piano and violin. I was, we were very, when I think about it, advantaged, but we worked hard. Mm -hmm. We also had a victory garden, which I didn't know was a victory garden until I was teaching history years later and found out my mother had a victory garden. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and my dad had to leave the house and go over uh, with uh, lights out, all lights out, no street lights during the war, black mm -hmm. curtains on all the buildings uh, and in rooms. And we were inland. And, uh, Leroy, New York is inland. It's not on the coast. But we, we had to have dark curtains um, uh, uh, at night uh, because it, we could have been, I guess, embalmed, you know. We're yeah. talking about uh, the real war, World War. Mm -hmm. um, but I will also say that both of my husbands fought in World War II. And uh, so, uh, yes, I know a little bit about, and I've taught some American history. My field was Shakespeare and literature and music, but... I did get to teach uh, one semester of U.S. history. We don't teach it now, David. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're going mm -hmm. to have to, you and Rios are going to have to get on some committees. My wonderful history teacher here, a friend of mine, a colleague, uh, we haven't, no wonder we aren't voting, uh, you know, the voting is an issue. Mm -hmm. We haven't taught civics in high school in over 15 years. Right. Uh, yeah. So, uh our children need to know history. Remember Santa Ana at Harvard. If you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, no, Pearl Harbor, I just mentioned that because I know you have other things to talk about. Uh, I happen to have a professor, a teacher, uh, who insisted that we know the news, know what was happening. Right. And so we were reading the newspaper and listening to the radio, right? Mm -hmm. So I happened to be listening to the radio on December 7th, 1941, wow. when I and the family uh, was the one that heard Pearl Harbor has been bombed. And uh, so, of course, I was so excited. I remember distinctly jumping up and running all over the house and waking everybody up. Hmm. And, um, and, and that changed uh, our, many, many people's lives, including ours. Did you, when you heard that, did you think that the meaning of that was that, you know, the war was going to come to American shores at that point. How did you perceive of that as a child? Yes, I did. That? Yeah, uh, okay. I, I knew I knew where Hawaii was. I'd never been there yet, uh, but uh, nor was I on our West Coast. I was on the East Coast. So, but um, 
and of course the commentators, Lowell Thomas, you were much too young to remember that name, but I remember that name, and um, so soon, of course, we had all, we were bombarded with all kinds of uh, challenges um, in terms of geography, knowing where, what, you know, where, where Guam was, or the Philippines, or whatever, and um, how many uh, planes had come from Japan, and then when we did go to Hawaii uh, in 1956, my first trip, we actually talked to folks in the church in which we were involved about their seeing the Japanese planes, and oh, they wow. pointed out the exact saddle among uh, in the in the in the mountains where uh, through which the planes came. Wow. So it became quite real again. Uh, those several years later, we also traveled in Europe and saw Coventry Cathedral, which was bombed, and. Um, of course, 500 people were killed dead. Mm -hmm. uh, they were just dead in, I think, 15 minutes. Uh, they had uh, the cross uh, out, uh, the little chancel outside. That When we were there, that was 56, I think, also. And uh, then when we went back later on, someone, someone stole the cross, but it was returned. And then we saw, have you ever been in, in the new Coventry Cathedral? Um, because the Germans actually uh, gave to the British a beautiful bell, which is mounted in the sanctuary. We, we, we just stood there, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, kind of, it, it's something that's unreal, even if you lived through part of it. Mm. it. I mean, it really is. Do you, is, was there any other big world event that matched that? So for example, I heard about 9-11 happening when I was 12 years old. I was in junior high. Yes. And I remember my friends at the lunch table talking about this, and rumors began circulating that somebody had also flown a plane into the Empire State Building and the Sears Tower and all this misinformation, yep. and there was this great sense of something uh, very important happening. Is Was there, maybe not 9-11 specifically, but... Was there any other moments like that that felt that felt momentous in the moment? Uh, well, of course, um, I was. I don't remember the Titanic, but my mother did, mm -hmm. and shared that with me. And also, an Irish friend of ours uh, in, in New Belfast, where of course it was built, uh, and he uh, on the one of the anniversaries of the sinking of the Titanic. Uh, he, uh, he being Irish, where the ship was built, had quite a bit to say about it. I will have to skip a, a few years to tell you, you asked about a momentous event. Mm. Uh, and I know Chris is going to smile because we have a, a kind of a joke between us. Uh, Jim Whitaker, when he climbed Mount Everest in 1963, mm -hmm. that is an event that I remember th very well. By that time, I'd become quite a mountain climber having been married to the 10th Mountain Ski Division uh, skier and climber, namely Ken Johnson, Christopher, and June's dad. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, 1963, the, uh, 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 and, and Jim Whitaker said, you don't conquer a mountain, the mountain conquers you. Uh, mm -hmm. But anyway, the conquest of uh, the summiting of, of uh, Mount Everest in 1963 was another momentous event that I recall. 
That's awesome. You mentioned the Titanic, and I have to ask, have you ever heard of the novel uh, Futility by Morgan Robertson? Uh, I have heard of it, but I read a review, but I haven't read it. Yeah, so this book was released in 1898, 14 years before the Titanic set sail. And it's a oh, yeah. it's really spooky because it describes a ship that is to the precise dimensions of the Titanic. Oh, wow! And it hits oh, an dear. it hits an iceberg at the at the same speed in the same area of the oh, of the dear. ocean, and it almost predicts it to a T. But it was fourteen years early. That's something you know that that Chris and I are sort of obsessed with. Also, is time and how that well, works yes, and how you, things you seem guys to repeat. Bring up some wonderful topics, David. <laughs> uh, and you wake you you really wake us up, uh, and Dr. Steven Swedberg said the same thing. You you suddenly we we uh, we may have heard of something, but we really knew so little about it. And what you uh, to do, you bring uh, solid research, uh, but you also uh, come along with some of the uh, uh, of the uh, sort of for the um, reasons for something or the questions that are still especially on your conspiracy. One of my professors is a, a, is a class on conspiracies. And so that segment that you off, have offered brought great, uh, it's very, it's totally relative and, and mm -hmm. it always will be. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for your wonderful podcasts. Oh, yeah, and yeah. best wishes with your lovely little Gus. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I, so I, I, I do have a question on the conspiracy topic. So you remember, obviously, the JFK oh, assassination. Yeah. What are your thoughts about? Do you have any thoughts on the JFK assassination? Who? Let's solve this right now. Well, who, I wish who killed I, JFK? I wish you were. Uh, I wish you were talking to James Regali, Doctor James Regali, my U.S. history friend, a professor. He would certainly have insights. Mm -hmm. uh, my my take on it, of course. Uh, is it? It would remain. Uh, it always will be a, a question. Uh, the the what one per, always did one person do it? Was it a, was it truly a group of people? Uh, and then he was. Remember, he was killed by another guy uh, within two or three days. So the murderer uh, didn't really get his uh, his his uh, punishment. Uh, from uh, the government, he got it. He got killed by a, a, another person, mm -hmm. uh, but um, it was pretty sad. I happened to be teaching in a junior high that day within, in uh, five classes, and at the, it was at noon, of course. And uh, I remember these were very bright students. I was on the World Council of Gifted, and I had these very bright students. And it was pretty uh, somber. It was a sober and sombering moment. Mm -hmm. So the best I could do was send them to the library. I went with them and to see, uh, to study any other assassinations that had occurred. That seemed to me to be the best kind of a, oh, yeah, that's brilliant. a, yeah. a way to spend some time. Yeah. Yeah, turn it into a, a, a time to actually learn about the kind of history of these things. So around this time, then th there's also the civil rights movement going on. Did you did what was your impression of this kind of thing as it was going on? Was it widely well, publicized uh, in the papers? I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, familiar. actually, David. There, there's a moment that comes to mind. Uh, I was teaching in Oakland uh, and. Um, uh, all of a sudden, one day, uh, my friend Harold Youngberg, the head of the music, the music in Oakland, choral music, 
had uh, his car was parked next to a car uh, that was uh, 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 in which somebody was murdered. Mm. And uh, but all of this uh, uh, happened before a major concert where we're going to have 2000 students and all the teachers on the day that Martin Luther King was killed. Mm. And, uh, you know, and we're open with a lot of uh, wonderful uh, African-Americans. And, but Harold Youngberg and his, uh, the instrumental teacher, in fact, the faculties uh, of all the schools, junior high school music festival, uh, and all the parents held that concert together. It could have, you know, there could have been a crisis in the parking lot or in the uh, Paramount, uh, Hotel, uh, Paramount Theater in Oakland. Uh, when I think about it now, with COVID and all the all the uh, you know the care we're taking, cautions, I'm wondering wh- why we went ahead with that concert mm, on that mm-hmm. day. Mm. Uh, but by golly, we did, and they held it together. So, do you, uh, that's another experience. Do you think that it was important to hold that concert? Do you think that there was something to that as far as keeping people's spirits up? I'm, oh, I'm yes, curious I about do. that. Uh, I do. I definitely do. Um, it's, of course, if you'd known Harold Youngberg, he's a graduate of Northwestern, a doctorate in music, uh, and one of the most highly thought of uh, professor or t- uh, staff people in the city, in the city schools. Uh, but he had the, m- music is something special, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Really? It is, yes. Mm-hmm. And so you, you've got, uh, must be 400 students, junior high students, the best kinds of music, uh, all, everything from jazz to classics uh, and just all kinds of music. Uh, my group was performing as well, and uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. In fact, one of my speakers, they were chosen special, her mother had died just four days ahead. So we had a double calamity, so to speak, a personal and mm. national. Mm-hmm. And the husband said uh, to Harold Youngberg, I think my daughter, uh, Lisa, will perform. Her mother would want her to. Mm. They, were, they had to give French titles, Russian titles. They were singing all kinds of music. My two narrators, I was very uh, flattered because they were my English students. They were chosen out of I don't know how many contestants. But no, it was it was it was uh, June and 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 Chris were there with me. That hmm. I took them to uh, those big events. They were little, you know, they were very little. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they, of course, uh, I think I mean they love music. They grew up with music, and um, and they knew Harold Youngberg. They called him the Music Man. He happened to be from Iowa, anyway. <laughs> yeah. 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 But those are those are real life experiences. Thank you for asking that. I, I am I'm curious. You said you know music is important, and I agree. What about music is important to you? What do you, What do you think is the is the power of music? With big question, I know. Well, first <laughs> of all, uh, first of all, it's um, it is of course not only emotional, and it is that. I just heard a phenomenal concert by the Aspen, Colorado Summer Festival of the top instrumental students on the West Coast. And um, one of them was a protege of mine uh, who was in my drama department, uh, my drama, uh, community drama theater. 
Ian, and he won a scholarship for this summer event. It's a, a great honor. We heard the Bruck, B-R-U-C-H, Violin Concerto in the Tchaikovsky uh, Symphony Number no. 5 in E minor. And you're looking at the stage with full, and Chris saw it, uh, of, of young people, phenomenal young people. This is classical music, but they can play jazz. They can, Ian can play anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he has to be violinist, but it's uh, soul food, it's mind food, it's heart food, it's poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris is very fascinated with, with the music, uh, as you probably know that. Uh, mm-hmm. He's developing uh, a, a, uh, an album, and um, uh, it's, it's a cultural thing. It's, uh, it, it definitely is a cultural event. You've heard the South of the African singers sing. Uh, without uh, no music in front of them, they learn by rote, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's the most haunting, uh, memorable kind of experience. Uh, or you heard, of course, the great classics, uh, Beethoven and Mozart yeah, and Haydn. But, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's uh, important that, and I've known people who have taught music all their lives. I grew up with music, uh, with both parents, and uh, so. I'm trusting you've got some music going already. Are you singing to Gus? Oh, all the time. I make up songs. I, I create the lyrics. Now, Gus rhymes with fuss, so a lot of it has to do <laughs> with, with fussing. But I try, to get, right. I try to get more inventive with it. Do you, think, do you think that language came first or music came first? Well, of course, you know what? Music is a kind of language. That, Ooh, that's what I was point. going to add to my other statement. That's so it, true. Uh, it, music is a universal language. Uh, it's they say sports are too, for that matter, and we certainly witness that every four years, uh, a global experience. Um, uh, well, uh, I, I don't know. I'm sure there were grunts and all kinds of ways to communicate in those billions of years ago, uh, but I have a feeling that music was 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 right along there because. People break into song, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, what a beautiful morning! For goodness' sakes, or or whatever, um, and uh, and lament lamentations, and of course the Bible is full of of uh, psalms, mm-hmm. which are really uh, poetry and music, and they were set to music. Uh, so I don't think you can avoid it, but I think the thing is to train youngsters to choose the, the to be eclectic to choose the best of the various kinds of music, not to get stuck uh, with one kind. But we do know that the classics are the, are, are, are the basics, and that, mm-hmm. you, that you, you're not going to have jazz or swing or, 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 or anything else if you don't have that, the basics. They're much more complex, mm-hmm. much more. Mm-hmm. You have to study and learn. But why not give our children the best? Absolutely, yeah. Have you ever heard the the music of Hildegard von Bingen? Yes. Oh. Uh, no, no, no. I haven't. Tell oh. me about it. Oh, it's great. If you so Hildegard von Bingen was a nun who uh, lived in the f- uh, 15th century Germany, and she had oh, oh. Uh, many experience like uh, religious experiences where she would uh, see angels and see the Virgin Mary. She was epileptic, so she would have yes. these fits and and have this kind of close. Uh, connection with the spiritual world and she wrote about this kind of stuff extensively she was such a cool character because you know at this point in time uh the catholic church was run 
uh, like a pretty tight ship, and you didn't yeah. sort of talk back to the church elders or suggest uh, heresies, or you ran the risk of not just excommunication, well, but well, actually being uh, killed. What year, what year was that, David? This would have been in the 15th century, I believe. 15th. The 15th century, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So she basically composed all of these arias. Uh, I think that's what she would call them. Uh, a lot of kind of haunting vocal music. But whenever yes. whenever we're finished talking here, I encourage you to, to check those out because it's very interesting to me that uh, just using the human voice, you can create these things that make you feel spiritual in a way i think that spirituality oh, well, uh, is spirituality is so it, it, closely connected isn't it well if you don't go to any uh concerts at a church at christmas uh, you're losing out mm, uh, on, mm -hmm. on, on christmas we, we happen to go uh, we have to be presbyterians but the, and my best friends have to be catholic my former doctor uh but uh, and i've sung solos and in, in directed drama chancel drama and choirs in, in almost any denomination. Uh, but the point is, music is crucial. Uh, and uh, I don't need anything else beside, for Christmas mm. except the concert with a 90-voice choir in which my son-in-law sings. Uh, uh, he's a math pro professor, Ken Buden. Uh, and the organist is a seven-manual organ. And... Uh, uh, and it's the same church that also has a chance, a, a, a gospel choir, and, and it also has a, uh, a youth, two or three youth choirs, and, and so forth. So uh, let, let's give children, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited that Chris, of course, has always been interested in music, mm -hmm. but now he's got some novel ideas. Uh, I'm doing physical therapy as I come through this little event that I experienced. And I noticed that when we're going through the gym, uh, sitting on the bike or something, uh, bicycling, you know, for physical, uh, physical therapy, there's music wafting through the gym. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, it helps you get through the routine and the, and the focus and the uh, exertion mm -hmm. uh, that the physical therapy requires. So uh, whatever it is, I just, um, and children respond, first of all, to rhythm. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, That's beating true. their little hands, right, and stamping their little feet. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> and clapping and shouting. <laughs> well, when you when you go to the gym, I I have a playlist that I can send Chris that he can send to you of nothing but heavy metal. It'll get you through all of your sessions. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I I hope that. I also heard Rick Steves, our big travel guy, the other day, and took us to uh, Cambridge, where, where the uh, noontime chapel. We have heard that chapel of mm -hmm. uh, uh, organ. Uh, we have heard the recital at cha uh, at Cambridge University, mm -hmm. and um, what wherever it is, whatever it is, as long as the best in its in, in, in its category. Mm -hmm. Well, why not get the best? Yeah, just the, just, just the best. Whatever rises to the top. That's that's okay. that's how I feel. One, my uh, Dwight was a jazz guy. Uh, he and and he play, had played a clarinet for years and. And jazz is, a, a, we call it American music. It derives from our, our wonderful uh, African-Americans. But anyway, yes, well, you've got a great future with a wonderful little boy. Yeah. To yeah. say nothing of this bod podcast with all the rest of us 
hanging on your every word. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. No, that that's great. That's great. So speaking of podcasts and technology in general, what is your relationship to the internet? How do you, how do you feel about it? Do you spend a lot of time on it? Uh, do you have a, do you have a phone? Do you, well, I know you have a phone, but do you mess around on your iPhone at all? I'm curious about your relationship. I, I have, a, I do have a cell phone, of course. Yes, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not a techie, David. Uh, mm-hmm. My, my subjects are. Uh, I'm pretty good. If you want to get me on a stage and and tell me to direct a play or act, I won all kinds of acting awards. But mm-hmm. and I am a writer. I have four musicals and so forth. But mm-hmm. uh, I do. Uh, I certainly uh, am encouraging. A number of my friends uh, regarding your subscription, this new channel that you're going, mm-hmm. new direction, mm-hmm. and the book club. Of course, uh, if you could see my house, and Chris knows it very well. Uh, there are no books in the bathrooms, but there are in every other room. Mm. And um, and uh, but uh, I I just uh, I just think your podcast is is vital, and. Wow. Um, uh, and the internet, of course, is 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 here to stay, and it's growing all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I know. Chris has some real questions about the effects of technology, mm-hmm. and and you've dealt with that uh, on Correct. one of your podcasts at mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. And um, I am worried about the same things you have expressed concern. Mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not a panacea. It's not the end of all. Everything. Our our human mind. Our 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 mental. Uh, and our uh, emotions and our to say nothing or our spiritual lives uh, we're human beings and uh, just a little lower than the angels so to speak so Mm -hmm. I don't think we can um, worship technology right right now that's very well said I uh, I agree with that so do you think that that's what's going on right do you think that people are just too involved in their in their online interconnected oh, yeah. lives yeah okay mm-hmm. yeah you've seen a family of four sitting at a beautiful restaurant before covid and each has his or her cell phone they're not even talking mm-hmm. whereas our my dining room table uh, where the children grew up and to say nothing of one where my dad was uh, sitting at the head of the table when he wasn't called off to the hospital to treat somebody uh we had dynamic conversations we learned how to talk together and how to ask questions, intelligent mm-hmm. questions, and how to be concerned. And, and in other words, empathy. You have to learn uh, uh, empathy. Uh, I'm trying to think of the Harvard professor I sat under one uh, once at a workshop, Jean Piaget, and he talks mm. about empathy. It's not mm-hmm. natural. You have to learn it. Mm-hmm. And so how do you learn it? Well, you don't learn it by just gluing yourself to some technological digital device, right? Right, right. Yeah, no, John Piaget is uh, great as far as child development, too. That's that's yes. most of the area that I that I read his work under because it still holds up as far as I know to the different stages oh, that and children Col- go through. Uh, Kohlberg, K-O-H-L-B-E-R-G, did, uh, and of course, I'm thinking of the... Uh, Structure of the intellect. Uh, I, I, I used about six or eight of those paradigms, which I had on charts. And, and not just the gifted students, but all the students. I had them on my, so they could say, okay, this is uh, requiring me to work uh, on the level of systems. That's a high level. Mm-hmm. Or this is just cognition. That's just who did it, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, 
So we've wandered off from some of your questions, but um, oh no, no, this is this uh, is perfect. This is exactly what we what we want to do because I think that this is really fascinating. So when you were teaching uh, these kids, were you were you trying to figure out the best way to to teach them? Am, am I? Am I wanted I... Uh, I, I wanted them to to to. Uh, the crass way to say it is to buy into it. But in mm. order to do that, they need those paradigms so they know that uh, uh, cognition is number one, comprehension is number two on, on, a, on, on, on a paradigm, uh, Maslow's paradigm of intellectual capacities or something. Uh, and um, they, they have to know what is required when you ask a, a question that just who discovered America versus a why question, which requires uh, t- everything below it and uh, up to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they have to know uh, what, uh, it's just like in sports, you know, or mm-hmm. piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to know what they're being uh, uh, asked to do. I, I didn't say that way. I said, look, you got an opportunity. You're going to think now. You're going to compare Romeo and Juliet and West Side Story. That's that's relation. That that's comparison. That's mm-hmm. third. Mm-hmm. That's high. Some students can't couldn't do it. They could not see the connection, the feud, the the whole theme being feud, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, or the right. the Grangerford Shepherdson feud in Mark in, in uh, uh, Mark Twain's Huck Finn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I taught them how to do it. Mm-hmm. And they got excited about it. Also, David, there are 200 uh, poet devices. They need to know the poetry devices. Chris knows them. But he does them automatically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, the anaphora and poly- polylipton and, and all the rest of them. I think we have to cue kids in to what it is we are giving them, uh, let's put it uh, euphemistically, but it's, but it's also uh, inspirational this is the way you're thinking now. This is the opportunity mm. you have now. Isn't that exciting? It's 2.30, mm. second period in the day, uh, or it's home after dinner, and we have a chance to discuss uh, this, and this is what I'm, what I'm suggesting you do. So mm-hmm. think about comparing and contrasting. Yeah. Or think about transforming. Or how about the scientific uh, approach? You know, gather the data, uh, uh, propose a hypothesis, test the hypothesis. Uh, if it doesn't work, transform it or elaborate. Mm-hmm. They need to know these paradigms. That is when they're young, eight, yeah. eight, eight, six, seven, eight, whatever. And that is that's so important because I think that the way that I was raised, and I think that my mother did a really good job, um, but I also think that there wasn't an emphasis that was necessarily put onto what you're talking about. And what I think is so interesting about it is that the solution seems to be now to put a kid in front of a television or a phone or a computer and say, here's a TV show, just watch that and it'll all be okay. Uh, But what you're suggesting is that you can create in a child this idea that different modes of thinking are interesting and fun. Right, that that is well, so what cool. You're, what, what you're doing is you're you're stimulating something vital and called inquisitiveness mm-hmm. or curiosity, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and uh, if you don't do that, they're just rote learning all their lives, and so learning has no deep, no no depth to it, and they don't own it. 
mm-hmm. they need to own it. Uh, yeah. That that's uh, I I just feel if if you taught piano, for instance, or studied piano, or if you learned studied golf or tennis, uh, those folks don't wait, don't hesitate one minute to tell you why you have to hold the golf club a certain way. And they don't, they don't patronize you and say, well, she can't learn why. All she needs to do is do it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to teach the how and the why uh, early on. That's awesome. That's awesome. So to switch subjects just a little bit, because you have mentioned musicals and books. Can you give me your, and this is always a hard question, but a favorite musical and a favorite book? I'm I'm curious uh, to know. Right. I, well, of the uh, uh, of the Dickens is one of my great favorite writers. He's called a comedic, the great comedic. Mm-hmm. His writing changed more laws in England than any of the parliamentary uh, decisions. Uh, he was, of course, uh, concerned about child labor and and the, the schools and so forth. So, his whole uh, all his novels have always interested me. Mark Twain is is crucial as American writer. Of course, um, and obviously Shakespeare is the greatest mm-hmm. world dramatist, poetic dramatist, or dramatic poet, and um, so uh, th- those have to. Uh, and we, and then, I think we also need to, uh, as we talked about, uh, we haven't mentioned art, but we need to mm. get kids into art to galleries, mm-hmm. and teach them what to look at, so they don't say, "Oh, I don't like that." Yeah. Or that—that's a—that's a great picture. I mean, they need <laughs> to know what they're looking at. I, in other words, I don't like to to be patronizing. I like mm-hmm. to hold them up. Right. Uh, one of the greatest compliments I ever received, David, was a dad uh, who came out to the plays we were doing, and he said, "You know," he called me Doctor K. He said, "You you really hold these kids up to high standards." You give them a lot. You you are instructing them. They're not just on the stage doing a talent show. Uh, they're learning the uh, how to act, react, and interact. They're learning what a script is or a piece of music, a constellation of characters, and so forth. But he said, you're not condescending. You're mm. not patronizing. And I can't find a teacher like that. that we're talking here uh, in Bellingham, uh, Washington. Mm. So... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I I was lucky. That I, I I just was lucky because I had parents, uh, my first teachers, and I had excellent teachers in upstate New York. We had the state regents, uh, and I went to Oberlin, which is a top school, and Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very fortunate. There's no def- no doubt about that. Now, when you think about the way that children are learning, I had a broad question about how you kind of feel about the the current COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, specifically, what do you, do you, I've heard and read that, you know, the development of children is very important and that schools need to be closed uh, or that schools uh, rather shouldn't be closed because they can't miss any uh, school or, you know, they might become stunted in some way, shape or form. Do you think that that's accurate or, or I guess more broadly speaking what what's your impression of what's going on right now as far as the well Chris and I have talked about it one of his best friends and one of mine is a, a teacher 
uh, she's taught third grade and sixth grade, and I just had a, chat, a chance to talk to her, and so has Dwight, uh, Chris in the last few days. So she knows much more about the elementary challenge, uh, where she herself, as a sixth grade teacher, was also working with the parents, you know, uh, right. to, uh, during the time when the children were online, uh, and the children were missing. The, the, what, what they're really missing is a social socialization, which is crucial uh, in sort of the elementary grades, the synergism in the classroom uh, among the students, to say nothing also of the intimacy with a, a caring teacher. My kids, my Chris and June and Ken, are all teaching at the university level, and there are other problems there. Right. Uh, but uh, I, I listened to Dr. Fauci. Uh, I listened to the experts. I was growing. I grew up with respect for people who had expertise. Uh, I think this has been very difficult for the children, uh, any age, especially the, the uh, up through high school, uh, to be uh, at home. Uh, June said now to switch to the university. Some of the kids were alone in their dorms. Right. Uh, a 21-year-old or 20-year-old, uh, uh, all day long, tuning into her or his classes, uh, and to say nothing of the professors who had to learn six or eight new platforms to handle this, mm -hmm. it's been a difficult time. I don't think there's an easy answer. Right. Uh, right. But I do know one thing, that we have to stop uh, the spread uh, of this variant. Mm -hmm. And um, so anybody that's not getting vaccinated, I have no time for whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're, mm -hmm. playing, they're trying to play God, or at least they're trying to play the expert, uh, and they don't have an expertise in that field. They, have, they should be listening to someone who does, namely uh, Dr. Fauci, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So I do think uh, if, you had, if your little Gus was in the sixth grade or fifth grade, what would you do? Well, we're planning on doing homeschool. How do you feel about that? Oh, I was very involved. In fact, upstate, I mean, uh, Bellingham, Washington, had one of the biggest uh, homeschool programs in on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, those of us who were teaching, and Chris knows, I invited him one day to come over as a writer and to uh, work with the uh, my English class, well, the entire school wanted to hear him and meet him. So uh, my the the principal of this, uh, in other words, the homeschoolers did come together in a uh, in a it would have to be a uh, as I recall a church uh, because they had those classrooms, and they also had among us some most of us with certainly with master's degrees and many of us who have been teachers. And, and then uh, they went home, and, and uh, so they would come for, you know, a couple, a couple courses, and they'd be on their own with their parents with a couple courses. But mm -hmm. not very many parents. I mean, uh, do, you, do you want to teach trigonometry, uh, or do you want to teach U.S. history? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's uh, or right. Shakespeare? <laughs> right, right. No, um, yeah, your point is very well taken. The other option that we were looking at, there are some local Montessori schools that seem pretty good. Do you have any thoughts on those? Montessori? Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Well, yeah. uh, I am familiar with that also. Um, uh, the only thing that I heard about it was it's pretty, um, 
they, uh, the textbooks, uh, they, they extend too long uh, learning just by pictures. Uh, in, in other words, they try to get textbooks. I don't know. I really can't tell you today, David, right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. uh, because I'm not connected. But about 10 years ago, I was familiar and uh, I, 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 I know I read about Montessori and how it started, but uh, the, the, it gets down to one simple little thought. Mm -hmm. Who is the teacher? Yeah, exactly. Who is the coach? Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if you've got a good coach, they, they can uh, teach a, a good teacher in a barn mm -hmm. uh, or a shack or something else. Uh, but... Um, uh, uh, in other words, if they're putting all their money into buildings, I don't think that's necessary. But they need to put it in is, is to faculty. The same thing if mm -hmm. you've got a brain tumor, you want the best surgeon yeah. possible. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but um, you've got to find a faculty. You, you, that's what you have to find. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's, well, I was lucky. I was lucky. I mean, that's. Uh, what Oberlin offered and still does, and, and Berkeley and, and uh, other schools, the University of Pacific, I did some work. So you're going to have all those questions with little Gus. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I love the advice that you just gave me about will you be able to teach trigonometry because I have never thought about that, and that's the kind of thing that I'm going to need to be thinking about. Chris also has pointed some things out uh in passing in our conversations about ways of thinking uh, with regards to Gus and how I will have to amend some of them, particularly with pertaining to exactly what you pointed out, you know, the things that I don't know, you know, and who's the best person to actually teach him those things, which leads me And, in... and then, oh, no, David, if I, could, if I could interject, of course, there are yeah. some things that only the parents can teach. Mm -hmm. and and uh, uh, and many parents fail mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, there are there is the prerogative of, of parent of, of the parents position mm -hmm. uh, to help from the day the child is born to uh, create in, in that child a sense of self-esteem of self-worth and no, no no teacher in the world can can make up for for six or five or ten years without that Right. And that comes with little jobs, such as, uh, I know one summer we were in Kennebunkport in a motel. Chris was four or so, and his job was to carry out the waste paper basket uh, that, uh, or the, uh, that was uh, in the kitchen or one of the rooms, and, uh, and that was his job. Mm -hmm. And and so it wasn't, uh, uh, at that point, writing a book, which it is now, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he was—he had a position in the family, mm. uh, and uh, at each each age that he was or June, we tried to give them the issue is suitable jobs, not something they can't do, mm -hmm. but they can do, and that you are guiding them, mm -hmm. and that builds their self confidence. And 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 no teacher can—I uh, mean, it would take a psychiatrist to make up for years. Uh, I've known and you've known, or maybe you haven't, but as a teacher, I've seen what happens when parents don't do that job. Yeah, my mother deals with that as well because she teaches in a very economically disadvantaged area of a very economically disadvantaged city. And um, her parents have drug addiction issues, poverty issues, 
Um, and you know, you see it with the children and it's, it's taxing on her, you know, now she's into, um, for a while she was teaching third grade and went back and forth between that and fourth. Uh, but now she is teaching special needs children in this area. So she's, you know, no matter what the grade level is, she kind of goes around the school and makes sure that they're all up to speed and teaches them and files reports and things like that. But it's, it's very difficult. And she says the, the hardest part is actually communicating with the parents as to what they need to do, because most of them, unfortunately just want to get high and and hang out yeah and they they most of them want to do what get high and hang out yeah you know yeah. so well uh, yeah. you see the point is that you know you know they're repeating the way they were brought up that's exactly. the trouble correct so yeah. somebody such as your mother is is interrupting that but a little child with her help uh, can can grow a lot in this very area I'm talking about, even in just a, a class a day, uh, coming across someone like that who who is authentic and cares for her and is listening to her and is asking her appropriate uh, responses for appropriate responses, something that she can or can deliver mm -hmm. and and. Uh, Lo loving the little child, you know? Yeah, absolutely. On that note, I could talk to you all day, and you're such a fascinating person. <laughs> yeah, and this I has think been Christopher so wonders what's happened to us. <laughs> yeah, but I do, before we go, I do, I do because I value your input, and uh, you've said a lot of very brilliant things during the course of this interview. Can you give me a piece of advice going forward with Gus, if, if there was one thing that you could tell me? what would that thing be uh, about what anything anything the best the best piece of, of parental advice that i could get i need oh, all the okay, help i, I can get the best piece of advice yes, about anything correct right yes. mm -hmm. right okay well let me see i'll have to distill a few things here um uh i think i've already said one thing that that mm -hmm. might be the best especially in a crisis such as the world is facing mm -hmm. uh, but I, but I can't get away from the word uh, uh, Dwight, my husband Dwight. Gratitude is the only legitimate attitude. Mm, okay. Uh, you know, uh, if you have a little gratitude for something, uh, it's ener it, it energizes one. I, I, I know that sounds saccharine and, and, and soupy, but I've experienced it. So mm -hmm. if you go around griping and complaining and criticizing, yeah. I think that's destructive. Mm -hmm. And it, it's innervating instead of energizing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I think being grateful, uh, even when you're in tough times, and I've had a few recently that I hadn't expected, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, the other piece is, uh, is to listen to experts. Mm -hmm. uh, seek out the people uh, that has, uh, has the experience. Uh, Fauci brings like 60 years of experience. Mm -hmm. uh, to this uh, to this COVID situation, right? Uh, and um, so, uh, besides degrees and everything else, of course, I don't want to get soupy again, but I will. And that is the word love. Yeah. I mean, I've got a son here who whom I love more than you know the world. I've right. got two phenomenal children, and I know people who who can't even have children. Uh, I know people who uh, who have lost a child, 
mm-hmm. uh, of one he or she was young. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I, I mean, we have to appreciate, uh, we have to be appreciative. Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm sounding preachy, and I don't mean to. Absolutely not. No, this is great. Oh, and I didn't mean just to interrupt you. Just love him. Yeah, just love. Hold, hold, <laughs> hold, hold that little boy. Yeah. Uh, and and Rios close and tight. Yep. Um, and uh, I was singing "O mio babino caro" uh, from La Boheme to G- Christopher and June when mm-hmm. they were tiny. And those, my children, I probably got the most wonderful two children on the planet. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that. Yeah. Uh, they're loving, they're concerned, uh, they're uh, uh, generous, mm-hmm. uh, they, of course, God-given, exceedingly brilliant. That You can't take credit for that or discredit, but it's how you use it, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, which is what you're showing, and you're showing that to Gus when you hold him on your lap and you're editing a, an article or you're mm-hmm. po- preparing a podcast or you're talking to Chris about some wonderful topic (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, he's definitely gonna hear uh us talk we i figured eventually we'll get him on as a he's sort of been on in the periphery he's and the other thing don't forget you're reading to him every night right yeah absolutely absolutely you know my my children you talk about technology and i know we have uh, all kinds of things we can read uh, read from june and chris never went anywhere without a book mm-hmm. i mean we're picking out june's wedding gown christopher has books <laughs> in the car mm-hmm. okay yep and and so you wonder why he was why his little poem giant's tears was published when he was six mm. uh, it makes sense absolutely so books read to them okay absolutely do you have a copy of that poem that i can have uh, I think I can find it. Uh, do we have John's tears? I, uh, I stumbled on it one day. Uh, I'll tell you what, the, the daycare person caught. Chris was looking out the window. The big tears, oh, uh, the big uh, raindrops were falling, and he comes out with a metaphor, giant's tears. Amazing. I think we're... I'll, I'll find it, David. Okay, yeah, please find that to me, and if, if you don't mind, uh, if you could take a picture of it or something. I know I don't want to take the original but i do want to i would love to see that but well yeah here you don't even have the cart the, his collection of how a, a poet develops do you oh listen, no, we're no. Stop <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a book david i'll send you that book mind over mogul okay he's learning to ski mind over mogul thank you david thank you so much this has been so fantastic i appreciate your time and all the lovely gifts and for just you being such a lovely person thank you oh although we were we had a blast we had lots of fun thanks david here's chris all right thank you bye-bye oh my ears i pushed my ears okay well (laughs) what a chatty pair you two (laughs) welcome back chris welcome back to the show Well, I, I, I have to say, I, I didn't, uh, I was sitting on the edge of my chair the whole time, because I didn't know sort of uh, what questions you would try to sneak in there. But I, I think that was a very uh, interesting and uh, revelatory little uh, repartee. I loved it. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I've, 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 we, I, like I said, we could have probably talked for another hour, but we were heading in a direction that you did not approve of, so we had to, <laughs> yeah, we had to the censors, well, the censors had to come in and cut, cut the mics. Uh, 
some interesting things it's uh sure i i i and and there were i think that uh we could have a good debrief about this on many levels i suggest oh yeah absolutely well on that note we will take a quick break everybody that is our free episode and we will be back with the patreon exclusive episode after this okay see everyone thanks for listening